Hi everybody, I'm Tori Robinson and we have an unplanned Epilepsy Sparks Insights Ukraine special. With the war, there are indirect casualties. People in Ukraine cannot access their epilepsy medications and those that, who used to have controlled epilepsy are now having seizures, status epilepticus and some are dying. We bring you news on what is happening right now. I'd love to introduce you today to today to Donna Walsh, who's the CEO of the International Bureau for Epilepsy. Um, Donna, please tell everybody about yourself. Hi, everybody. As Tori said, I'm Donna Walsh, and I just took over as Chief Executive Officer at IBE in January. So I'm claiming to be a newbie, but I have been here two months at this point. Um, Before that, I worked for 10 years as executive director at the European Federation of Neurological Associations. So I've been in the neurology field or the field of brain health for the most part of my career. But I'm really enthusiastic about working specifically on epilepsy, hopefully for equally as long as I was within EFNA. And as you can maybe hear from my accent, I'm Irish, so I'm based just outside of Dublin in Ireland and uh, pleased to be speaking to you today, Tori. Okay, regarding the Ukraine conflict, what have you um, as an individual and an organisation been up to um, to try and help this situation? Yeah, so as the the International Bureau for Epilepsy, we're a a global organisation, but actually the majority of our chapters, who are essentially our member organisations, are based within the European region. And we do actually have a chapter within Ukraine itself, the Ukrainian Bureau for Epilepsy. So our European Regional Executive Committee really did want to do something to respond to the crisis in Ukraine and specifically looking at addressing the needs of people with epilepsy. So I suppose for us, the first port of call was trying to assess what, what was the needs of people with epilepsy in Ukraine. And no surprise, the biggest need seemed to be access to anti-seizure medicines. So a lot of people with epilepsy were not able to access their treatment. And we know that if people can't access their treatment, then that can be huge in terms of the impact it has on those individuals. So we started to think, you know, how are we as an international organization representing people with epilepsy going to be able to respond to this? And we reached out to our colleagues at the International League Against Epilepsy and started to make inquiries um, through some of the major humanitarian NGOs who we knew had a presence on the ground in Ukraine. Unfortunately, what we found out was that anti-seizure medicines weren't included in the emergency packs that were sent by many of these groups in the first phase of the response. And that that's generally... Crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think generally the first phase of response is around getting emergency medicines into a country. So things like painkillers, antibiotics, the types of treatments that can... I suppose, cure or treat some injuries or illnesses that result on the back of war or conflict or natural disaster. These are emergency drugs. Exactly. I just think that they're not recognised as such. So it's not, they're not bandages, it's not antibiotics. But the thing is, if we don't have, um, and I say we referring to people affected by epilepsy in any country, um, if we don't have the drugs, anti-seizure medications, then we can go and have seizures, status epilepticus and potentially die. So it is 
they're equally important. Absolutely. And this, I think, is an issue across the board for people with various sort of chronic or long-lasting illnesses. So you talk to people with diabetes who now have no access to insulin or people who are affected by cancer maybe and cannot access the treatment that they need. And often we forget those people who are living with chronic conditions during an emergency because we're, we're dealing with the emergency that's in front of us and we forget about the people who are behind it. I mean, it's often said, you think of a broken leg, oh gosh, let's fix that, let's help that person. But I, was, I was talking to somebody yesterday and thinking of people who, who are on some, you know, antiretroviral, imagine if you've got um, HIV and you're not getting those drugs to stop you know the HIV from developing into something worse or there are just so so many diseases and I think that people need to realize that epilepsy comes under that um I actually collected my drugs just um two days ago I walked down the road and just picked them up and I was thinking that is what should be happening in Ukraine right now and it's not um and the fact that people are having to people who do have access to drugs some people are sharing them I know that that's the case or speaking to somebody yesterday, you know, they're only able to give people say like a week, two weeks worth of drugs rather than a month or two months because there just aren't enough drugs there at the moment. That's absolutely the case. And we know we've, we've had a number of conversations with some of the large pharmaceutical companies who produce some of the um, anti-seizure medicines that are used most commonly in Ukraine. And we know from the neurologists and the doctors in Ukraine what it is that people actually need. So it's not as if we, we don't know what is required. We know what is required. The problem is trying to get that into the country. Part of this is a regulatory issue. Um, we need to get the regulatory approval to get the drugs shipped. Part of it is a logistical issue. So the drugs maybe get as far as the border and then they're stuck because we need to ensure that there's a military convoy perhaps to take those drugs across the border. Then when they get across the border, where do they go? Because a lot of hospitals now are out of operation. A lot of doctors are seeing their patients underground. Some of the contacts and connections we've had in Ukraine have left the country um, and have got themselves to safety. So it's a, a really complex picture that is unfolding. And people have been really creative. People have been really innovative in finding new channels and new ways to get medicines and supplies into the country. But longer term, we need to start thinking about how we do this in a more structured way and also a sustainable way, because the crisis is not going to be over tomorrow. This is going to be a long term challenge. As in years, you know, um, I, as we mentioned before, I spoke to a, a clinician who had to leave um, Ukraine with her two young children. Um, and is, is now not even in, in the closest country, but she, she's elsewhere in Europe. And people are so unevenly distributed. Um, and then also something else um, for listeners, viewers, um, that you mentioned earlier, Donna, was that often people affected by diseases such as the epilepsies, they're not the people who are going to leave because they might have physical restrictions as well, or they might just not literally neurologically or psychologically be up to moving for many, many different reasons. Is that right? <clears throat> That's absolutely true. So what we're hearing from some of the um, camps or the structures that have been created at the borders is that a lot of the, the refugees or the people who are fleeing are generally healthy people who can walk long distances, who can get themselves out of the country. And as you say, people who are 
just not equipped because of the illness that they live with or other factors that they face are left behind. And we need to start thinking about not just how we address the needs of those refugees who are coming out of Ukraine, but how we can continue to get not just medicines into Ukraine, but continue to provide ongoing um, services and supports. We were talking earlier about the fact that a lot of people with epilepsy will have um, comorbid psychological or mental health uh, issues. How can we ensure that that aspect of a person's well-being is looked after, particularly in a traumatic situation like war? What about the comorbidities? Maybe some of these are new comorbidities because people have been caught up in attacks and have sustained injuries. So I think we really need to think about this more holistically and not just think about, okay, let's package up boxes of medicines and ship them, because that's only one element of a a much bigger issue that needs to be solved. And continuing with that, you've made me think of people I know, uh, you know, with the common comorbidities such as cerebral palsy, who might struggle to move to get over the border, or uh, learning difficulties, who might be challenged intellectually. Um, There are so, so many, oh my goodness, uh, autism. A lot of people, I have a friend um, with um, autism, and she can't stand noise, so, or extreme noise. What is happening like? There are explosions. So, and then things like that can trigger seizures. Um, And then you get stuck in this circle. So this is why, anyway, listeners, viewers, this is why we need support for these people. Now, um, could you tell us exactly, um, Donna, what's been happening with IBE that people can help with? So people being um, your average Joe, if there is such a thing, or clinicians, politicians, what can we do? So one of the things that we're doing now as IBE is creating an online space where we can really promote and disseminate the services and supports that are being created in Ukraine, but also outside of Ukraine for people with epilepsy. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, we brought our chapters together to talk about what they were doing and how we could support that. And a lot of them have already been really, really busy whether that's in sourcing and shipping medications. Some of them are translating some of their leaflets into Ukrainian so that people who come into the country have access to documents that basically tell them where they can go to access care or where they can go for other types of support services that they might need. But the problem is, you know, that's all fragmented across the continent. So what we'd like to do is really build a repository where all of that excellent work that's happening to address the the conflict in Ukraine, the war in Ukraine, is housed. And I think it's important as well that that is accessible in a public online space and not just, you know, in a corner of the IBE website, because people need to be able to find it. It needs to be visible. It needs to be out there. And I think social media is the obvious place for that to happen. So that's something that we're building at the moment. It's not something that exists as yet. And I guess what we need at this point are people to help us with that. So anyone who might be interested, who has some interest or expertise in the social media space, who'd be prepared to give up a couple of hours a week to get involved in that, we would really want to hear from. The other thing we need is help with translation, because a lot of people who are leaving Ukraine, who are still in Ukraine, don't speak any other language. So unless we can actually make this available in Ukrainian, then it's not going to reach everybody needed to reach. And, and so if there's people out there who speak the language, who want to get involved, 
then we'd be really eager to hear from, from people who have those kinds of skills and to work with us on building out our response. That's brilliant to hear, you know, because so many of us want to do something, but we're not sure how to do it, Um, especially those of us who are, you know, physically restricted for whatever reason, you know, if we've got an illness of our own or, but just knowing that we can, if we donate just a couple of hours, I mean, let's face it, loads of people spend time on social media anyway, (laughs) and are little experts of their own. So I think this is a great opportunity for people um, to get involved. And, And what about people who have experience in medicine? for instance, is there anything they can do? I think that would be really useful because what we're likely to get are queries from people with epilepsy. Um, maybe they can't access the their current treatment, but something else is available and they may want to know, is it safe for them to change medicines? You may find that there are people who have concerns about you know increasing number of seizures because, as you said, you know, seizure threshold is likely to be um, decreased because people are hungry, they're not sleeping, they're stressed and they're anxious. So, you know, the level of seizures is likely to go up and people may have questions or concerns about that. So I think for us, it would be great if there were people who had a sort of medical knowledge who might be prepared to help us when we get those sorts of questions or comments via the social media pages to be able to direct people in the right way. And, you know, We don't necessarily want to give people a consultation via Facebook, but if there is information and resources that we can provide to just reassure people, to let them know that we're there, to let them know that we understand, then I think that's really important. And and coming from a health professional, I think it brings more gravitas than, you know, some part-time social media officer um, providing responses to these types of queries. Indeed. And also for people who are uh, social media um, fans, you are you are online. Um, I was trying to think of a polite word. Fans is okay. Um, when you are online a lot, it'll be great for us to be able to have a name or email address to actually forward people with questions to. Because, of course, should we not be medical professionals, we are not authorised um clinically or or morally really to answer these questions so that will be really useful for us and that is something we'll also uh, likely set up in the coming weeks is a dedicated email address whereby people who do have questions or concerns who are in ukraine or who are fleeing ukraine can get in touch with us and would be answered then by people who are well equipped to answer those kinds of questions um, whether it's directing people internally in the country or providing support to people who've ended up in another country across Europe and signposting them maybe to our relevant member organization in that part of the world. So, you know, we have to be careful, I guess, as IBE, that we manage expectations. We're a, even though we're a global organization, we're a tiny, tiny team of, you know, one full-time person, a couple of part-time people. So it is important that, you know, we do things that we can do well and not sort of overextend our reach and maybe try to do too much and and people are disappointed with the type of service or response that we can provide. Of course, we need to manage expectations. And I'm just thinking about, because what's been wonderful about one of the very few wonderful things about the current situation is that you know, there are people around the world who want to help in some way. So whether you're based in New Zealand, Australia, uh, Egypt, uh, you know, Colombia, uh, Florida, whatever, or Canada, you can, if you if you um, are able to translate, brilliant. If you're able to help on social media, brilliant. We can really, really use your help. And as you said, Donna, you know, just a couple of hours a week 
would be amazing. That's it. And I think what this crisis has shown is the solidarity, particularly amongst the epilepsy community um, in Europe, but also beyond. As you said, we had a meeting recently for our European chapters, but we also had participants from Canada, from Chile, from Malawi. So it is a community that has come together in response to this. The chapters, the individuals, they want to do something to help. And I think it's galvanized us in terms of, you know, creating a sort of solidarity with um, others with epilepsy who are maybe in a less fortunate situation. And, and I hope that this is a learning for us going forward, because there's always a conflict somewhere in the world. There's always a crisis somewhere in the world. There's always a natural disaster. And people with epilepsy are a vulnerable group who can get caught up in that. And I think what we learn from this response in Ukraine is something that we can take forward and apply ongoingly in our work around access to treatment. I mean, if we can donate now, why can't we donate to people in other parts of the world who don't have access to care? Or if we can give virtual consultations to people who cannot leave their homes, why can't we do that in other parts of the world where people live in remote rural communities? So for me, I think, you know, uh, this is a terrible, terrible situation, but from crisis perhaps comes opportunity for us as a community. And I would like to see those lessons taken forward and, and used ongoingly. I couldn't say it better. I completely agree. So thank you um, for listening, viewing everybody. If uh, people want to get hold of you, how do they do so, Donna? Shall I provide the email and website below? Yeah, so people can email me directly at uh, donnawalsh at ibe-epilepsy.org. Um, and they can also you know, Google International Bureau for Epilepsy and you'll find us. And all of our contact details are there. We're active across the social media platforms as well. And we'd be really happy for people to get in touch and help us out on this in whatever capacity. Um, we're always eager for volunteers and certainly at this point, we really need the help. To help save the lives of people in Ukraine, please put pressure on your politicians and pharma companies. Tell them that Ukraine, just a few hours travel from us, needs anti-seizure medications yesterday and that they must provide them. See links to people in the recording in the text below and on the website toryrobinson.com slash epilepsy hyphen sparks insights. Thank you.